0: Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs.
1: I am tired of these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday podcast.
0: I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm here with my co-host James Daly. And today we're going to be starting in on the third character for our homebrew showcase. Today we are going to be going over the Yon-T race.
1: Snakes. Why'd it have to be snakes?
0: So, I really like the Yonti. Conceptually, they have a lot going for them as a monster. Almost too much, really. And it's hard to really pare that down to a point where it's a balanced player character, at least in my opinion.
1: So, gather around, children. We're going to do something quite special today. We're going to bring out an artifact you rarely see. We are bringing out the Nerf Bat.
0: Yes, the plus three Vorpal Bat of Nerfing. But yeah, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the Yanti before we really get into the nuts and bolts of what we're going to be doing today. The Yanti at a conceptual level is an odd amalgamation between Aztec mythology and Judeo-Christian serpent in the Garden of Eden.
1: I was actually seeing a bit more Egyptian with a lot of this stuff.
0: You do have a decent amount of Egyptian to it, but the human sacrifice aspect I may have missed that part of Egyptian culture, but I don't think the Egyptians were huge on human sacrifice.
1: Not as much. That part is very Mesoamerican.
0: And if you look at the architecture and the style that they apply to the artwork for the auntie in the published work, it definitely has a very Aztec feel to it with the squared level pyramids and the art motifs that they've got going to them.
1: Culturally, you're going to see a lot of that, too, in areas like Malaysia, Burma, a lot of your Southeast Asian continent area. Yeah, you do. Look at old adaptations of Kipling stories, particularly like Jungle Book, some of the old art, you'll see a lot of that kind of look. You have Ka, obviously, but we're probably, I'm going to guess, a good 75% plus of our characters are going to be familiar with the Yanti from, or the Naga from WoW. I mean, if you want a Yanti, it's a Naga.
0: But if you want the aesthetic... Of the Yanti, the <laughs> Zul'Garub dungeon slash raid, depending on when you were playing World of Warcraft. Zul'Garub is how I picture Yanti architecture and Yanti society looking. Just replace the trolls with snake people. And that's basically what we got. And uh, i trying to remember the Loa that Jindo was trying to, the, the winged serpent one. Uh,
1: was it Rathma? No, not Rathma.
0: No, it starts with an H. It starts with an H.
1: I don't know then. I know in Wrath, when you were dealing with the trolls, not Zulfurak? Yeah, in Zulfurak, you had the winged serpent. That was Tharanja. That was definitely a Quexquadal.
0: No, that was Zoldrak, Drakari, up in Northrend, yeah. And we have now devolved into World of Warcraft.
1: But that is a good point, and that's something... There's a lot of lore, even within the text for D&D. The Yonti are split between three serpent gods. So you're going to look at your cultures where you're going to find snake gods. So again... We talked about the grub again for a while because that's where a lot of us are going to have a lot of relevance or a lot of connection to. But that really thick, jungly type of environment. We talked about the Aztecs. And obviously with the Aztecs, you have Quexquadal, which is the winged serpent. So very obviously there. And again, with a desert type people, you're going to have a different type of snake. Egypt, you have the asp, a desert snake versus a jungle snake versus a plain snake like a rattlesnake or a coral snake. So
0: Or a swamp snake like a water moccasin.
1: Exactly. So these all kind of throw in. So your base Yanti lore is they are snake worshippers. And they're gods, strangely enough, for snakes. Ta-da!
0: But you do have other lesser gods among the Yanti. And the Yanti actually have rituals whereby they can ascend to godhood.
1: Which is kind of awesome.
0: And it involves ritual cannibalism where they literally eat the god.
1: This really starts sounding like it's borrowing from other games. Anybody that's played uh, Vampire the Masquerade from White Wolf. But that starts sounding a lot like the concept of Diablo side where you'd have to eat the elder vampire to gain its vampire power. Again, there's a lot of that interpretation or intermixing. And I believe in the tabletop version of Vampire the Masquerade, there again is a snake clan. And again, a lot of that has to do with sacrifice. You could actually with that rip your heart out as a defensive measure and keep it dashed or buried away. So again, there is a bit of overlap between games and concepts, strangely enough.
0: I don't know enough about the lore side of Vampire. I've only ever played a couple of sessions, so I'm not real strong on that system as a whole.
1: As we move on, we do hope to branch over to other games in addition, so I don't feel so bad talking about that one. But that is a game where if you want to get into it, they did build a lot of lore into their characters. So you've got these snake worshipping people. You're generally going to have some snake form. So the Yanti as written are really super adaptable and they get kind of complex and hard to manage because if you're going to make a yonti player character, there's a lot of options you can have because we talked about kind of that ascension. So your kind of base level for your Yanti is going to be what they call a pureblood and that's going to be your most human looking and you're going to have some snake traits involved. Uh, your next one's up, sure, Mallison or Malayson. It's one of those words where you only have ever read it, but you've never heard it spoken.
0: Well, they weren't called that in third edition. In third edition, they were Yanti half-bloods.
1: Which makes more sense.
0: But the naming conventions for the different castes of Yanti society make absolutely no sense to me.
1: It's inverted. And but it's- you have to think, the snake was the ideal. True. Pure blood, you're human, so a half-blood even better, because now you only have half your humanity, and you're moving backwards because you're wanting to get away from that human aspect
0: yes but the top of the societal food chain is the anathema
1: because that's how other humans would see you as an anathema it's not how they see themselves
0: but that's just the thing is i mean unless we're referring to this as being this is what outsiders refer to these castes as but it seems Almost. to me like it should be you should have it as this is what the yanti label their casts
1: You would think, but again, the Yonti was a monstrous race. You weren't supposed to be the Yonti. Yeah,
0: but even in third edition, you got rules on if you want to make a Yonti player character, these are the steps that you follow.
1: Right, but most players can with the Yonti. They are definitely going to be the quote, quote, other.
0: But what I'm saying is the names for the casts should reflect how the Yonti see themselves, not how outsiders see the Yonti.
1: I can see that. It is which definitely. Is,
0: which is why it makes no sense to me that the pure blood is at the bottom of the chain. It seems to me that the pure blood should be the at anathema. The top. And I can or at see least that. the abomination. I'm okay with the anathema still being the anathema at the top because it's a giant snake man with six heads. It's a snake with arms and six heads. So I am okay with calling that an anathema, but it just seems to me that the abomination and the pure blood should at least be switched. That's my personal opinion. I am not going to change the naming convention on my whim, but that is how I would do it. Because the Yanti would consider the abomination as being the pure blood because they're the one with the most snake blood. And the more snake you have, the higher you are in the caste system.
1: I can see that. Can I ask you a quick question though? Okay. What's that big country between France and Italy?
0: The big country between France and Italy?
1: Yeah. It was split for a little while.
0: There isn't a country between France and They,
1: they kind of they border the two, yeah.
0: I mean, there's Switzerland.
1: No, that's a small one, the bigger one. It borders both of them. It has the Rhine River in it. Germany? Yeah, except what do the Germans call it? Deutschland. Yeah, exactly, but what do we call it? Germany. Exactly. So we call them Germans, right? The naming convention's from an outsider. So yeah, I mean, they might have something that they'd call themselves that we probably couldn't pronounce. It's probably all Slavic hissing.
0: Slavic hissing?
1: Syllabic. Oh, okay. No, they're not Russian hissing. Yes, a bunch (laughs) of Russian hissing. It's where the goths came from. (laughs) So getting back on topic, your next step up this ladder of ascension, you would say, is the malicin, or sometimes it's called the half-blood. So it's much more snake-like, and I kind of touch back to your wow naga, where you're mostly snake form. You might have a humanoid body and a full snake head, or a human head and a full snake body with arms. Um, or you
0: can have snakes for arms.
1: Snakey arms, yeah. So nope rope was obviously taken, so I don't know what we're going to call. You've got a danger noodle, you've got a nope rope. A sneaky snake, I, I got nothing beyond this one. I don't know.
0: And then there were two more that they added in Volos, which is a human form with one or more serpent tails, and then a human form covered in scales. You're literally just a scaly boy.
1: Yeah, you're a scaly boy, which is fine. And then you get butt. Who the hell wants Hydrabutt?
0: I mean, it's like some of the Nazjatar mobs in the most recent expansion of World of Warcraft. There's some of the elite mobs that are a humanoid torso and head, and then they've got like five snake serpent leg things going on underneath. They're not quite a full octopus, but they are definitely walking around on snake legs.
1: Somewhere between Ka and Cthulhu, there is noodle boy i got nothing i really got nothing i mean like i said that's like when you roll low on your your random encounter but if that's your thing then that's your thing and roll it that's cool because again the game should be fun i'm just not really wanting bite.
0: no not really
1: the next step beyond that because i mean really when you're going hydrobyte, you really can't go anywhere but up you have the full abominations and these are basically snakes with arms which sure why not
0: These are the ones that would look like the Naga from World of Warcraft.
1: Yeah, these would start to look more like that.
0: Because it is a snake body with arms.
1: But then they still have a snake head and not a human face. So these are like snakes with arms.
0: Well, the male Naga from World of Warcraft has more of that elongated snake-like face.
1: And then beyond that, you have your anathemas, and that's... These things are actually pretty beefy. Instead the, of one head, you get like six.
0: The Yanti consider them to be demigods. They are far beyond all of the other Yanti in power scaling.
1: So as fun and as descriptive and as beautiful as we'd made these sounds, again, we both actually kind of really like the Yanti. The uh, morphology of them are a little wonky, but as a playable character, they get some kind of cool stuff. And again, with as much lore and myth as you have behind them, they're different than most of your, your more humanoid characters. So they actually do have a lot going for them that leaves a lot to the imagination, which is a great thing for any kind of player character.
0: But, of course, there are aspects from a lore standpoint that I really also don't like. Primarily, and this should not come as a surprise at this point, but I don't like that they are classified as an evil race. And I don't like that they have written them as being an evil race. Because you cannot go through the published lore and really make much of an argument for anything else from what they've got written out.
1: When your ultimate goal is basically human sacrifice and cannibalism to increase your personal power base, that's a hard stretch to make. And I'm with Ian. I don't like to say that every character is innately evil. That being said, if you're going to play an evil character, a Yonti is going to be pretty hot on your list.
0: Yeah, Yonti are pretty good on your list.
1: Drow. I mean, those are going to be like your first two check marks. Okay, we got this one. We got this one. The Yonti are, no snake pun intended, tend to be very cold-blooded. Even by lore, they're not emotional. They're very calculating.
0: Yeah, they are specifically emotionless.
1: If Spock had scales, Spock would be a Yonti. Maybe instead of pointy ears, they just taped them back a little bit further.
0: If Spock ate other Vulcans, he would be a Yonti. Actually, no, he would be more likely to eat Kirk than another Vulcan. Because Kirk is not Yonti.
1: Yes, and then he would also assume Kirk's power because he ate the power base. So there you go. That's That's how to think Yanti.
0: That is how you get Captain Spock of the USS Enterprise. But yeah, so I was actually thinking about how to incorporate Yanti into a world where they're not necessarily categorically evil.
1: Honestly, a way to do that is, I mean, even with something like with the drow where they have, obviously the upper class of the drow tend to be far worse than your lower castes or your commoners but there are a lot of cultures that just have mythos or legacy behind them that people just assume that's what they are. And I think that could carry over a long way. Your Yanti might not be a terrible person. It might not be power-hungry. But that's what people expect out of your Yanti. Kind of like when you see your Dragonborn. Depending on the color of your Dragonborn scales or your alignment, you know. Are people going to assume your alignment because you have a colored scale versus metallic scale? And that could be a way to play that so... It's going to be difficult. I mean, it would be a challenge for a player, I think, and it would be a fun challenge because you're obviously going to put people on edge because, one, you're something that's not seen frequently. Two, it depends on what type of Yonti are you playing. Are you playing a pure blood that's able to pass through culture easier? Are you going to be an Abomination? Are you going to be in a Amalison? That where it's very obvious who and what you are. So these are player choices as well, and these tend to tie into roleplay.
0: Personally, I would not allow someone to play a yanti Abomination. That is just too much monster for me. I mean, I would let you play a Malison. I would let you play an Abomination skinned as a Malison. Or the other way around. A Malison skinned as, a, as an Abomination.
1: Well, if you're doing it like an extremely high level one-off, just to kind of go with it, perhaps. But yeah, otherwise that would be a bit of a...
0: Because the Abomination is awful beefy and has an awful lot of stuff going on.
1: This is true. And that's one of the things we're going to tinker with is the player characters given for the Yanti. And we're talking a lot and we're rambling a lot about this Yanti because there is so much out there that even Wizards by the Book, they didn't package them too terribly well for a player class. So we're trying to get all these pieces and kind of pull them up into a pile before we shove them into a mold. So we have something to present. I think if you win Abomination, you'd have to do a lot of homebrewing to tone it down quite a bit.
0: Well, and if you're retaining the lore, it doesn't make sense to play an Abomination because an Abomination is going to be staying in the Yanti city and directing everything. The Abomination is not going to be going out and getting its hands dirty.
1: If there was a way or there was lore for the Abomination that it found a way to become an Ananthma, it well, would that, go out There is, There is
0: absolutely... That in lore, a ritual that would allow an Abomination to become an anathema. There are rituals for each cast to advance to the next level.
1: Yes, and that's what I'm saying, is if the Abomination in-game had found resources or the correct lore or whatever it needed to enact that ritual, that would be a reason to drag it out of its city, out of its power base. But that would probably be the only reason for that to happen.
0: I think it would make a more interesting character to have say, a Malison who was acting on behalf of this abomination in that particular scenario.
1: Yeah, that would actually be a really good story arc to run. Because then how loyal do you plan to be towards any of that? Are you going to try to eat the abomination and then you have all the supplies for Ananthema and just kind of skip straight to step two? That's a whole other campaign story that we might have to do one day.
0: That is a tangent for another day.
1: Yes. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the Malison, but I think what we're planning on packaging and presenting this time around is going to be a pureblood. It's just a little easier overall to work with as far as in-group and going through about town. Again, this is so nebulous just because there's so much information out there.
0: I was reading up on the Yanti player race that was presented in Volo's guide, and it is specifically for the Yanti pure blood. And I was reading it and thinking, this seems a bit beefy. And I wanted to have some sort of variation there. So I wanted to have a Yanti Malison available for play just for the mechanics of it. And so I think what we're going to try and do here today is we're going to take the Yanti Pureblood as it's published and split it off to make a Yanti base race and have the Pure Blood and the Mallison be sub-race options within the Yanti race.
1: So you can choose door number one or door number two.
0: So do you want me to just go ahead and dive into what we got?
1: Yeah, let's dive into how they presented the pureblood, and we'll talk about what we want to parse out, what we want to keep. Buckle up, boys and girls. This is going to get kind of messy.
0: Just a little bit. All right, so you start off with a plus two charisma, plus one intelligence, alignment neutral evil, medium size, 30 foot speed, dark vision, 60 feet. You have some innate spell casting. You gain the poison spray cantrip. You can cast animal friendship at will, as long as your target is a snake. And at third level, you learn Suggestion. You get Magic Resistance, which gives you advantage on saving throws versus spells and other magical effects. You get Poison Immunity, and you get Common, Abyssal, and Draconic as languages.
1: All right, so let's go ahead and start at the top. Plus two charisma, I like. Plus one intel. Sure, why not? Makes sense. So you've got your standard plus three ability scores for your player character. We're not dealing with a negative score on this one. So I think that's our first character where we've not had to deal with that. So yes. <laughs> yay for that.
0: Well, we did also intentionally pick the two that had <laughs> minus twos when we were starting off. The standard breakdown for races that have sub-race options is you have your plus two attribute and in the base race and then you get your plus one as part of your sub race. The sub race is where you break down what that plus one ends up being. So for the pure blood I'm perfectly fine with leaving the plus one to intelligence there because according to lore they're the ones that are going out And making the connections, they're acting as agents, they're gaining influence in the outside world. And there's a certain amount of intelligence that is needed to be able to worm your way in, in a manner that keeps you from exposing yourself. Whereas the charisma is your ability to actually work your way in.
1: Exactly. So charisma is more than just rolling seduction. And that is always the joke. You've got the bar to whatever, and you're going to roll seduction with your charisma. Charisma is that cult of personality. It's that ability to charm people. It's that ability to get people to stop and listen, that ability to get people to pay attention to you, to think what you say is a great idea. Taking a terrible example, Stalin, Hitler, Chairman Mao, Pol Pot, all of these horrible dictators that we know, Rasputin, huge charisma scores. I mean, if you're going to look at them, they could talk and they could get a crowd to follow them no matter what. That is the definition of charisma. I don't think we'd really consider any one of those really sexy people, but they had that charisma. They had that ability to draw people. Your cult leaders are going to have a huge charisma. So that snake charm that the snake can gaze at someone or the prey animal and captivate them. So that ties in with that charisma score really well. I feel really good with the plus to charisma for this race.
0: This is where I was drawing the Judeo-Christian serpent in the Garden of Eden from because it was the serpent that convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge. So that's where I was gleaning that particular one from. And, you know, you always, you hear people who are good at convincing other people referred to as having a silver tongue.
1: So, right, or that person's a snake, you know, because they kind of have that wily, sneaky, snake you know. salesman. Exactly. So that really ties in. And again, we're making the Shanti sound really great. For the Malison, I would almost go ahead and suggest that your plus one might just be outright strength. Because again, you're going to get kind of that beefy boa body. You're definitely going to be more hands-on, I would say, perhaps.
0: And in their stat block in the Monster Manual, the Malison does have a 16 in both strength and charisma. So I am perfectly fine with making a plus one strength base for the Malison.
1: Okay. Now, here's our question, though. And this is where things get a curveball. So if you have a pureblood, player and they go through and they actually through the storyline through the arc can't complete the ritual to become a malison how would you adapt those score changes would you just give them a bonus plus 1 to their strength plus their already stats or would you change their stat blocks entirely with their player level once they got up to that level
0: um You know, I'm really not sure how I would go about doing that. That's not really something that had occurred to me before now. I guess it should have, but that's not really something that occurred to me before now. I mean, I would probably just tack it on on top.
1: I would be inclined to do that too, because that ritual is supposed to be so difficult. And that is something we did miss with the lore, is that the yonti are born into their caste or their society normally. So unless they've proceeded with that ritual, purebloods are born to purebloods, malicins are born to malicins. If a pureblood and a malicin were to to co-mingle, for lack of a better term, to be polite, if they were to breed together, yes, or copulate, if they were to engage in coitus, And Hatch from the Eggs, generally the offspring resemble the lower case. So they tend to stick to their own case to preserve their bloodline per the lore written in the text. That is a thing. So yeah, I would say that if a player was able to complete said ritual, any kind of ability score increase or anything like that, I think we should be able to just attack on. So in that case, you would have your plus one to your strength, and then you might get some extra stuff. Or I'd maybe perhaps make you pick and choose between a table. Maybe you can pick two or three traits that you wanted to keep. And then two or three traits that you'd be willing to exchange.
0: Yeah, that would be something that I think we would have to write up a ritual, what it would require, and then put in rules on you have to succeed on these checks in order to have the ritual succeed. And it requires these components. And at the end, these are the bonuses that you end up getting.
1: If only there were two schmucks on the internet who had a podcast with homebrew ideas. I know, right? Oh, well. Anyway, moving on.
0: (laughs) Maybe they'll send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com and give us that idea. But yeah, I honestly think that I would allow them to keep their stats and then just tack on to the top of it. Especially once we get into the details, the things that the Malison gets... Compared to what we're giving the pure blood, at least with what I have suggested, there's really no overlap between the two.
1: There's not a lot, no. And that is one thing I definitely like that kind of makes me really excited to try a Yanti character is as you do these rituals or just however you want to play the character. It gives the player a lot of options to change your body morphology or how you're going to play your character. Again, I really enjoy player growth. Multiclassing is always fun, but super complex. And this, you're physically multiclassing. So you can actually like take the Play-Doh and completely craft a new character out of this, which is really kind of exciting and has a lot of options. So we've got age. Has age ever played a role in any of your games? Unless a dragon hits you with an aging spell. Really? I mean...
0: Or you end up with a wild magic surge that ends up unaging you. Age used to be a much bigger deal because there was actually an age table in 3rd edition where once you hit certain age gradients, your stats actually changed.
1: Right. I think I've ever played one game where the player characters weren't roughly in their 20s or so. I think people try to reflect their own age and their characters a bit, which is part of immersion, which is great. The last game I played, which was an adventure league game, a gentleman was playing it. he was late 20s, early 30s himself, but he was playing a paladin that was in his mid 50s. And he was kind of that old retired warhorse type character. And he played it quite well. And actually, it was a good bit of roleplay that he'd seen his fair share of battles. And he was kind of ready to wind down but he had one last mission to run so he was out herding the cats and guiding the youngins as it were and trying to part advice to him so i mean again a great option for role play so age can be worked in if you want to play an older yonti or a younger yonti They the age about the same as people do
0: so the last character that i played i think i've mentioned him before is a transmutation wizard who had been an adventurer in his youth and had come across a is it the Manual of Golems that lets you make a golem? Whatever it is, it's the book that lets you build a golem. So he got a hold of it and he made himself an iron golem. And he had gone into retirement and he had a contingency set up because he ended up making it to like a 17th level wizard. So he had access to his ninth level spells and everything. And he had a contingency set up to where if he ever experienced a violent death, he would have a clone spell go off and a new body would emerge. And he hid this contingency within a compartment inside this iron golem. And someone knocked him off and sabotaged his contingency To where his consciousness ended up getting stuck in that iron golem. So I'm playing him as a warforged wizard.
1: That's really fun.
0: Um, So he's this 97 year old wizard walking around in an iron golem. He's now effectively immortal as long as the golem doesn't get destroyed.
1: Have you seen Altered Carbon? I have. Oh, yes. That's right. We talked about that.
0: But this has a very full metal alchemist feel to it.
1: Yes. Yes. I can see that one too, and I love both of those shows. But that's for a different episode. Size-wise, you're looking humanish size, so somewhere between five nothing and six something. Your size is medium,
0: according to the random height and weight table that I just happen to have in front of me here in Volos. Your base height is four foot eight, and the modifier is two d10, so you're looking at four foot ten to six foot
1: four. Yeah, thereabouts.
0: I'm just trying to figure out if you roll a twenty. Four foot 28, 28 becomes two foot four.
1: So yeah, six foot four. So you're people-ish sized. Yeah. Not a big people, but you're people. So it looks like so far our party's going to be a little on the shorter side. We've got our orc standing tall and firm. We've got a kobold who we're going to try our best not to step on. And we've got a smaller size to average sized humanoid character-ish. Okay. So far, so good. Your base walking speed's 30 feet. So again, that ties in with your medium size. So everyone's keeping up with each other. We're not leaving anybody behind yet, which is good. Dark vision.
0: Dark vision. I'm considering, I'm thinking that we might want to uh, bump this down to low light vision like we did on the half work.
1: Yeah, I'm good with that. Like I said, dark vision comes with everything. It's like but, your free shipping with your packaging.
0: But I would also suggest that as part of the downgrade to low light vision, We also give them keen senses smell so that they get advantage on perception checks based on smell.
1: Only if they lick things.
0: Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, snakes actually, they flick their tongues out. They're flicking their tongues out. So, you know. That's
1: why I said they got to lick things. Yeah, no, I'm okay with that. And I think keen senses based on smell. I think that's a good give and take. You're losing 30 feet of your dim light vision. No, no, you're you're getting your dim light vision, yeah.
0: It's still 60 feet, but you can't see in darkness.
1: Okay, yes. And then you get that keen sense with smell, which I don't think I've rolled too many rolls where Kay smelt. Can you smell my feet? Yeah,
0: you don't really (laughs) run into that a whole lot.
1: I mean, there was that one episode where we had the uh, ogre thong involved.
0: I don't remember that.
1: No, that's fine. That's actually going to be in one of my knicker-nabber songs. <laughs> as it's going to be the Ogre Thong.
0: As long as this isn't something that I'm actually just forgetting.
1: No, it's not.
0: That is something that doesn't come up very often, but it could, if you have that ability, you would find ways to use, to use that. it. That is an excellent way to encourage skill use.
1: And roleplay, I agree. And then the question is, you can smell it, but do you really want to smell it?
0: Well, I mean, you're going to be also interpreting it differently than, say, a human would just sniffing something.
1: Yeah, so when the guy who never takes the shower before he walks into the game shop and you say, hey, this smells like dead rat, and your mouth starts to water.
0: Oh, God, that is disgusting.
1: You're welcome for that mental image.
0: So we're going to go low light vision and keen senses smell. Yes. Instead of 60 foot dark vision. And this is the point where we're gonna, I think, put our split between abilities for the Malison and abilities for the pureblood. I'm good with leaving animal friendship at will and suggestion at level three as a base class thing, playing into that whole snake vibe.
1: Right, and that makes sense.
0: But I'm thinking that the pureblood should get the poison spray cantrip. And the Malison should get a natural weapon bite attack with a chance to deal poison. I am good
1: with both of those, though. The poison spray cantrip, I would almost put a use limit on that. Um, I'd put some charges no, like so right, many per rest. Absolutely
0: not. Absolutely not. Okay. It's a cantrip. Yeah. Well,. And it's a small damage cantrip. It's like a 1d6 cantrip. And there are so many things that have resistance or immunity to poison. I don't want to put any limiter on this.
1: Okay, I guess I can see that. Because yeah, a lot of things do have a lot of poison immunity and resistance. Poison.
0: Poison is empirically the weakest magical damage type in game.
1: I'm just thinking it's going to be weird, like, if you rolled a Yanti Warrior, a Yanti Fighter, or a Barbarian, and you've got Poison Spray on top of everything else, it seems... Is Poison Spray a full action? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. It's a cantrip. Well, some are all... I don't think all cantrips are full action, though.
0: Yes. I am unaware of any bonus action cantrips.
1: Okay. Yeah, seeing as Poison Spray is a full action... Yeah, I can feel okay with this then. Like I said, having a barbarian or a fighter with innate spellcasting feels a little weird to me. Again, if you want to cast spells, roll a wizard, roll a warlock. But, Um, you know,
0: this would still fall under the whole thing of a barbarian cannot cast spells while they're raging. So they still wouldn't be able to use their poison spray while they're raging.
1: Granted, it's just, I don't know. I like my martial character's martial and my magical character's magical. And that's my personal opinion and bend on things. And I'm going Um, to
0: gish everything.
1: And you can also feel free to message us under Common Taste and explain to Ian why he's absolutely wrong. But I totally, I can be this. Now, a monk with poison spray would be amazing. Monks are that weird gray area for me. But again, I digress.
0: And then I would say that for the Malison, because you are more snake like, I would advocate for a bite attack. We can go off of the bite attack the Malison already has, which is a 1d4 plus strength mod damage for a bite attack. However, I'm wanting to dial back the poison aspect on this because the Malison in the monster manual gets 2d6 poison damage on a hit. That is entirely <laughs> too much for a PC to have so i want to either dial it back to a just a flat 1d4 or a con save versus a 1d6 i like the
1: 1d6 con save whenever it comes to chance and invoking the fates and rolling the dice i'm always in favor because everybody that, likes rolling the dice that's half the fun of the game
0: that would be the same 1d6 the same as the poison spray damage but it won't scale to level like the poison spray damage will because the poison spray being a cantrip it's going to go to 2d6 at 5th level 3d6 at 11th level 4d6 at 17th level so that damage is going to scale whereas the poison damage on this bite isn't going to scale, but that's because it's an attack. It's like an attack with an axe or an attack with a bow. The weapon itself only has so much damage potential, but you can get a class that has multi-attacks and can use that attack more than once per turn. So you would end up having the option, say if you had a high-level fighter, making three or four bite attacks in a turn and potentially dealing 4d4 plus 4d6 poison.
1: That can add up pretty quick. I mean, now you're swinging basically with a 1d10 weapon. Actually, your odds would be a little bit better than a 1d10.
0: But we also have to figure out what the save is going to be. And if it's going to be a flat save or if it's going to be a save that ends up scaling.
1: I would scale the save. I think that is a fair...
0: But how are we going to do it? Are we going to make it a charisma save? I'd make it a con save. Yes, it is going to be a con save. What is the save score going to be? Is it going to be based off of charisma like the rest of their abilities? Because the suggestion that they get at third level is also a charisma-based save. All of their innate stuff across all of the monstrous side of it, that's all charisma-based. Because all of these specialized malisons that you get in Volos, all of the different priests of the different gods, they're all warlocks based off of their god. So... Everything that they have is charisma-based.
1: Right. So a Yanti cleric would be a lot of fun to play, but that, again, is a complete side. Right now, my brain is broke between charisma or strength. I'm leaning more towards charisma. It kind of ties into that whole strength of personality, and that's where the Yanti are deriving their personal strength and abilities largely from. That seems to be the core stat for this race. So charisma-based poison is really
0: weird. I know, right? That's what's got me kind of baffled. I almost want to make it Constitution, even on the Yonti side.
1: Then how would that scale?
0: I mean, it would still be 8 plus your mod plus your proficiency bonus. That's how the scaling save DCs work for all of your casters and all of your saving throws are 8 plus the modifier plus your proficiency bonus.
1: I was thinking of just making it a standard at level one, a DC 12, and then knocking it down one point every two levels. So level three would be DC 11, level five would be a DC 10, level seven would be DC nine.
0: That would make it easier for your opponents to save against it. That would make it worse as you leveled up.
1: Yeah, the other way around. I'm sorry, my apologies. So yeah, started at DC 10 then, and then level...
0: How about we just make it, the DC is 10 plus your proficiency. That works, yeah. Don't actually tie it to an attribute. Just make it 10 plus your proficiency. So it starts off as a DC 12 and it eventually becomes a DC 16.
1: That sounds great.
0: Which is still going to be kind of on the lower side. Once you get to those higher levels, it'll be easier for them to resist it. But it's not too terrible. I mean, it's going to be on the low side all the way through because let's say you have a wizard. And you're using point by so you have a 16 intelligence on your wizard at level one. He's already going to have a spell save DC of 13, which is going to be more than what you've got.
1: But even still, with the cantrip, your opponents get a chance to save on that too. So either way, I still think that balances out. That's fair.
0: Yeah, but the cantrip is going to be scaling using your charisma because it is a spell. But yeah, I like that.
1: One thing we had talked about at 1.2, and I don't know if we'll cover it in this episode or not, was racial feats. Definitely looking closer at the 5e feats, I find that that menu is definitely a lot smaller than it was in three, in version 3 and 3.5. But maybe a racial feat perhaps for the Malison later on they could pick up where you could double your proficiency bonus for your save modifier.
0: I wouldn't go so far as to double it, but I would go ahead and throw in a racial feat where you would be able to add an ability score. Whatever ability score we end up deciding on, being able to change your save DC from 10 plus your proficiency to the standard 8 plus your ability score plus your proficiency. Okay. We might be able to tie that in because you had brought up an idea For a feat that would give a bonus for deception and persuasion checks. Correct. In theory, we could tie those together as part of the same racial feat for the Yonti. Okay. Whenever we first started discussing all of this stuff, I had totally forgotten about racial feats. And that there were four pages of racial feats in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Until after our orc episode went out and on Twitter, Ash Armstrong had talked back to us about what he was doing in his work and why he had backed some of the stuff off and was talking about an orc racial feat that relentless endurance is required basically to make the feat work the way it's supposed to. But that reminder put me in a mindset of, well, there's absolutely no reason why we can't have some of these things that we're wanting to do as class features that we're trying to figure out how to shoehorn them in, do them instead as racial feats that are completely optional, but that they can pick up later that will greatly improve how the race runs.
1: And I like that. So when we write this character up, when we publish it, are we going to include our racial feats with that write-up as a sidebar or a side note?
0: If I'm able to get the wording right, and get something put together i think i will because that seems to me to be something that whenever we're building up our playtest characters when we're getting them into the you know they're not going to have anything at third level because you don't get your first asi until level four but at 11th and 20th level you're going to have had the option to pick up these feats so i want to have that there so that we know what we're working with
1: okay Great. And I'm sure our listeners will enjoy to have that out too. So that is something you guys can look forward to and we will try to have out for you as well.
0: So the next thing down the list in the published Yanti Pureblood is Magical Resistance.
1: I have a really hard time with this one.
0: You gain advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. This is a throwback to the monster side of things. They are an innately magical race. Their whole thing is tied up in these dark rituals that tie them to these snake gods. And this magical resistance is something that has gone back multiple editions. The Yanti Blood in 3rd edition, they have a spell resistance of 14. So you had to roll a caster check and get a 14 or higher to even land a spell against a Yonti. And that's the pure blood. That is the lowest power level Yonti available.
1: And as a monster, that works great. As a player character, I think that's still a bit much.
0: See, I'm hesitant to let go of it because that is one of the hallmarks of the Yonti. The Dwargar also get magical resistance. Again, they are another non standard race option. They're, I
1: guess, but just a straight against any spell and any saving throw, you have advantage on saving throws. I mean, that's. We were talking about giving our fighter advantage on all wisdom saving throws, which are basically going to be a magical spell. And we were saying that that was way too much.
0: No, what we ended up giving them, we you know, we ended up giving them proficiency, didn't we? Yes. Okay what your item initially was going to be was going to be a, you automatically succeed on Wizard right. saving throws, which is something completely different.
1: Granted, I would feel better changing this to you have proficiency on all saving throws against spells, magical effects, than advantage.
0: You get to add your proficiency bonus to saving throws?
1: Yeah, and I mean, statistically, I guess that comes out close to the same. It just feels a little better to me, and I don't know why.
0: I don't know, because you end up having... I don't, I don't even know how to word my argument right now. Uh,
1: yeah, it sounds a little strong, particularly for the lower level characters. And that is the good thing about proficiency is it does scale with your character. Though, again, once you hit level 20 or so, or level 18, I think, is when you hit max proficiency. 17. 17? Okay. Yeah. At that point, you're plus six, and so statistically, you actually are doing better off. But if you've played a character to level 17, then you know what? You deserve a little bit of a pat on the back. I don't know. This one's a hard one. It sounds a lot. I don't know. And
0: this one was one that I was going to suggest we make a sub-race element for the pure blood and not leave it with the malison.
1: I think I would feel better with that
0: because there are mechanics that the malison has that I think giving the pure blood magic resistance and then giving the malison this other stuff would be roughly equivalent between the two.
1: I guess I can see that. This one doesn't quite feel right. I can't exactly put my finger on why and I can't exactly say how I would fix it perfectly. That just feels like this would be something a player could break. And it would be a player that came off something off the wall. And then they would figure it out. And they would use it all the time. And it, I feel this could become broken really fast somehow.
0: Well, the counterpoint to that is as a DM, you throw spells at them that require an attack roll instead of a saving throw.
1: And so, yeah, I guess it does depend on what the DM does and how the DM handles it. Yeah. I don't know. I would just put a warning label on this one that this has with potential for abuse. And I don't see why or how, but I can feel that it's there somewhere.
0: There are going to be times... When this is going to be really powerful and you're going to feel like you're not landing anything. But there are also going to be times where this isn't going to help them whenever they're being attacked by 30 kobolds with their crossbows and their spears. Because they're not going to be getting any bonus against crossbow bolts.
1: Unless those are flaming crossbow bolts and that's considered a magical effect.
0: No, because mundane fire is not a magical effect.
1: Gotcha. Well, then like a poison or an ice bolt or something like that. I mean, but it, I guess it, then that it, would it, just it, be limiting it, on damage.
0: No, because even if they're using magical ammunition, it's still going to deal the magical damage if they hit. Because there's no okay. saving throw against that. I mean, it's only going to take effect on things like fireball, lightning bolt, any of your illusion spells like hypnotic pattern, things like suggestion, you know, all of your status effect. They're going to have advantage on their saving throws against status effects.
1: So what kind of spells did you just list and what kind of spells do I generally like to play with?
0: Well, I mean...
1: Maybe that's why I feel so wary about this one because this does line up exactly against how I would play a character personally. Right. So maybe that's why my alarm bells are ringing. This is an anti-me class.
0: I'm in this picture and I don't like it. Exactly. But yeah, I hesitate to say this, but I think that you are overplaying how powerful magic resistance is.
1: This is, a, this is a very true possibility, and I, I am willing to admit that.
0: Now, granted, I have never had a player at my table playing with a character who had magic resistance. So I don't know from a DM's perspective just how powerful that can end up being.
1: Well, I say we leave this here, and it's not like we're not planning on doing a playtest at some point soon. Right, so, and, uh,
0: and we're planning wh- on using the pure blood anyway, so this aspect is going to get tested.
1: Exactly. And so let's leave this as something we definitely want to come back and ask our players how they feel about afterwards and see how that rolls. Because, again, that's a great way to test things out is we're going to throw it in the fire and see what it do.
0: And so, like I was saying, giving this magic resistance to the pure blood so that the Malison can actually get access to one of the things that it has had for multiple editions that it has in its stat block in the 5e monster manual, which is shape change. I would limit it to once per short rest, so it would be a junior version of the druid's wild shape.
1: I would really even pin it to a long rest, because you can short rest pretty frequently.
0: Yeah, but I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that a druid has two charges to their wild shape, and they recover all of their charges after a short rest. Or at least they can regain their charges once on a short rest, I think.
1: Let me uh, pull that up real quick. Is that wild shape?
0: Yes, wild shape.
1: Wild Shape 5th Edition from Roll20. Starting at 2nd level, you can use your action magically to assume the shape of a beast that you have seen before. You can use the feature twice. You regain expended uses when you finish a short or long rest.
0: Yeah, so you can get two charges back as a druid on a short rest. So I'm having this be a one-time deal on a short rest.
1: Okay, I'm good with that.
0: And it's specifically into a medium snake.
1: What's the challenge rating on a medium snake? Since you have the uh, monster manual up. Let
0: me look that up for you. see here if I can find snake. Snake. Ooh, it's a snake. (laughs) Look
1: under N for nope rope.
0: Oh, constrictor snake. That's a large. Flying snake. That's tiny. Poisonous snake. That's a tiny. That's not going to help me either. Really, guys, you are helping me none at all.
1: Hold on. I'm consulting the oracles.
0: of course, they're not giving a stat block for a medium snake in the Yon-T. Honestly, I would just say make it a constrictor snake.
1: Yeah, and that's still a quarter challenge rating, which is I was thinking was going to be a little high, but that works.
0: The thing is, the Yon-T retains all of its stats in snake form. So it would retain all of its attributes, it would retain its hit points. It's not a true wild shape, where when you're in wild shape, you assume the form... And when that form hits zero hit points, you revert back to your druid form with whatever hit points you had left. You keep the same hit pool. So if you hit zero when you're a snake, you go unconscious because it's still you. At least that's how I'm going to read it.
1: Yes. And basically the one thing you would get is the one thing I was trying to figure out how to give the orc with his large size. But you do get constrict. So you get a 1D 8 plus 2 bludgeoning. The target is grappled, and until the grapple ends, the creature is restrained, and the snake cannot constrict another target. So you can actually, at this point, put that constrained effect on a creature as a snake. So that works. So I'm okay with that. That's not too much of a thing that becomes a flavor and a player character thing. So I'm okay with that. That's nothing I have an issue with at all.
0: One other thing is the constrictor snake has blindsight 10 feet.
1: That's actually kind of snazzy to have as well. So again, I'm still okay with giving that. Again, your challenge rating is going to be about the same as a second level druid with wild shape. I was worried about that. But again, that all ties in and line. So sounds good to me so far.
0: Okay. That was what I was going to give. I had to take something away from the Malison in order to give it this because as written, the Malison also has magic resistance and I didn't have anything that I wanted to Add to the pure blood because the pure blood's already got so much going on. Yes, it does. So I had to take something away from the Malison in order to give it this shape change, and it felt important, at least to me, that the Malison has this shape change because that is something that the more powerful Yanti all have. From Malison up, they have this shape change ability.
1: Right, and so yeah, I think that's a fair trade: giving up the innate, or not the innate spellcasting, but giving up the magic resistance. Yeah. I would add to that though, because again, this is a niche thing and because you do get that snake form as an optional trait in Volos that the Malisons get, I would actually throw in with that shape change is the ability once per long rest to shed their skin and that allows them to escape any kind of binding grapple or restrainment from Volos. I would negate the whole, if you spend one minute eating your shed skin, you get half your hit points back. I think that's a quite a bit too much, but yeah. that ability to that's- slip out of anything I like.
0: Especially when you get to the higher levels. Exactly. So that brings us, we've got one class ability left to discuss, which is poison immunity. I already mentioned it a little bit. Poison is the weakest damage type in the game because so many things have resistance or immunity to it. But having a straight up immunity on a player race just seems Way too a much. bit much. Yeah. So I'm going to suggest that we bump this down to poison resistance.
1: Perfect. I would say poison resistance, and I would get rid of the immunity to poison condition. You should be able to still be poisoned.
0: I think you should have advantage on saving throws versus the poisoned condition.
1: I could accept that, yes.
0: So you gain resistance to poison damage and advantage on saving throws versus being poisoned.
1: That sounds fair. I am good with that.
0: Which I think is pretty much what the dwarves get as a racial ability. I'm pretty sure that they gain resistance to poison. I don't know if they get anything on saving throws versus the poison condition, but I'm pretty sure that they get resistance to poison as a... I
1: thought they got a save against any kind of constitution save. Or maybe, I know in third edition, they got a flat plus two on all of their con saves.
0: Oh, no, they get both. You have advantage on saving throws versus poison and resistance against poison damage. So I have no problem with giving this to the Yanti because the dwarves already get it.
1: Yeah. Okay, great. So we got, I kind of want to draw that biology. I I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Basically like the evolution tree. So I want to see what the shared ancestor between the dwarves and the Yanti were.
0: (laughs) I think this is a parallel evolution thing.
1: It well might be.
0: I'm going to say that it is a parallel evolution thing, just to keep you from having dwarves having sex with snakes.
1: Well, I mean, they both live in holes. It was a cold night. We don't judge. Just saying dwarven spirits or dwarven spirits. Sometimes you just want a hug.
0: All right. And then languages, common, abyssal, draconic. Common makes sense because, well, it's common. Draconic does make sense because that is the language associated with arcane magic in the dnd worlds and abyssal because technically their gods are fiends so they are fiendish in nature i believe at least some of them reside in the nine hells and not the nine hells but in the abyss so it would make sense that they have the language that would allow them to contact their gods on the abyssal planes.
1: yes those all make sense so i think we've largely wrapped up our yonti our pureblood and our malison we're going to move forward next week we're going to try to do a uh, pureblood wizard so we get to talk about the wizard class so if you thought this was a well organized and streamlined podcast this week next week's going to be completely off the rails
0: absolutely this is just going to be absolute craziness
1: there's a lot to cover with the wizard class the wizard class is extremely iconic you've got your various schools of magic
0: you have so many schools of magic
1: which I think we're just going to focus on the one that we are going to have our character adept in because trying to cover all the schools of magic would be honestly at least three or four podcasts on its own.
0: We have nowhere near enough time to do that. And I'm not going to make you guys sit through us rattling on about nine schools of magic. If you want to learn what all of the schools of magic for wizards are, go onto YouTube and watch Joe Cat's crap guide to D&D for the wizard because he puts it all in a song and it is magnificent.
1: It is very well done.
0: I just, I love his videos. They are not safe for work. They Nor small
1: children, unless you want your children to learn some new words.
0: Yes, he is prone to profanity, but it is required for his brand of humor. So yeah, next episode, we are going to be talking about the wizard. We'll probably bring up two, maybe three schools and talk about them as an overview when we're discussing which one of the three, two or three that we end up going with. And then we'll do a deep dive into that particular school. And talk about how it runs.
1: So thank you for joining us again this week. Uh, Join us again next week, and we will get into the Wizards.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCTHomeBrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Undercommon Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmaryccrowell. Again, thank you for joining us and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.